Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney, a 2X startup founder, a UCLA Bruin with a background in engineering and an economics degree, and twice a week we'll be discussing the products, tech, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous cars as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. Today, Friday the 19th of April 2019, this is episode 99, which reminds me, uh, Tuesday will therefore be Hard to believe it. Still can't really wrap my head around this. Episode 100. Yes, the 100th episode of this podcast will air on Tuesday. It's hard to believe this launched back in February, at the end of February 2018, and here we are at 100 episodes strong, nearly. Um, Anyway, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do on Tuesday. I would like to do something a bit special, a bit different. Uh, I started a poll on Twitter to get some input, some some thoughts, some feedback from listeners like you. Um, unfortunately, I'm not getting too many votes on it. Uh, it seems that I will either do another video, but that's seeming less and less likely with the remaining time available. Um, one of the other suggestions, or I should say one of the other more popular voted options was to simply do a sort of unique type of episode. I don't know what that means. People of Earth, if you're going to vote something on this poll, please comment, or I should say reply to my tweet, and elaborate. Saying you want something different isn't exactly helpful. So, yeah, I would like to do something special. No idea what yet, but um, hopefully I don't disappoint. Um, One thing that was supposed to be available, coincidentally, on Tuesday, the day of the 100th episode, was... um, Well, I was picked up by a journal which is going to publish a story about my podcast, uh, really kind of about me, actually. Um, I I will share with you the details later, but suffice to say it's no longer going up on Tuesday. Rather, it's going up uh, a week later. At the end of the month, it'll be up on the following Tuesday, the 30th. But again, I'll share with you details and, of course, links when they become available. Right. All right. Today, then, um, back to a regular three-segment news-ish episode um, due in no part whatsoever to a shortage of guests. In fact, I've got no fewer than three special guests already queued up, two discussions of which, two interviews of which are already recorded, one of which I desperately want to publish today, um, but I've decided, if only to uphold my promise to kind of mix and match interviews with ordinary news episodes, I am going to to push it back, well, to Tuesday the 23rd. Unless, as I just mentioned, I do something altogether different and special for the 100th um, episode anniversary. Um, right, all right, today, Apple. Apple is apparently in talks with suppliers for sensors. Are they, in fact, building their own car, their own autonomous car, or aren't they? Big news, as the EU seeks to mandate certain ADAS systems by 2021, and GM's cruise automation division, well, they've got a deadline for their driverless autonomous robo-taxi fleet 
and, well, the deadline is about to come and go. All this, right now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Right, so to kick things off today, uh, Apple back in the news. You may have heard a thing or two that it looks like they are looking into the purchase of uh, LiDAR sensors and perhaps other sorts of sensors entirely. Uh, it turns out they're in talks with several suppliers of LiDAR specifically. What's interesting, though, is that there's still no clear news on whether Apple is working on an actual vehicle, building its own car from the ground up, or whether, in fact, they're just developing the perception stack, as it were, namely the hardware, but also the software. And, well, if that's true, that means that Apple is... You know, if they're only doing the stack and not the vehicle, then clearly they're they're looking to essentially license this out to other manufacturers. As I've mentioned in the past, this certainly sounds like a perfectly fine business case, but it would be remarkably unappley. Um, I mean, unless I'm missing something, which is certainly possible. Uh, the last time I can remember Apple ever licensing anything at all was back in the what was it, the late '90s, early 2000s, when I guess Scully was on board. And Apple started developing um, clone computers. So those are a bit weird. I think one of the names was the... Uh, no, I guess I don't remember. The, the, anyway, so, so this is a very different sort of tack for, angle to, for Apple to take, if it's true. I mean, it's a very... Um, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting angle. Um, but what most stands out to me is this is kind of the the motivation behind doing this. I guess Apple is frustrated with, first of all, the the look, the performance, and the cost of the current state-of-the-art of LiDAR. Now, of course, Apple being Apple, they would, they would be concerned with the look. <laughs> Arguably, some might joke first and foremost. Uh, because, yeah, most LiDAR do tend to be a bit sort of ugly, ungainly things that look rather like Shrek's ears dangling off the side of cars. Obviously, lots have changed in the last couple of years, and nowadays we've got things like the beautifully elegant, small, but pricey solid-state LiDAR, which, you know, dispenses with the cumbersome spinning apparatus and builds everything on a chip, as it were. Um, obviously, Innoviz, one amongst several companies working on such solid-state LiDAR. The tricky thing, of course, though, in all cases, whether you're solid-state or whether you're a more typical spinning uh, version, is the mechanical LiDAR rather than solid-state, is that you've got this problem with range. Now, obviously, one of the difficult things with LiDAR, making LiDAR to work so well, and indeed one of the arguments in favor of you know, improvements to computer vision with cameras like, say, Tesla are doing. And as you will hear next week, um, with Imagery, a startup based in Israel, we'll be speaking with the founder and CEO, Adam Ghazali. Uh, you know, there's this promise and indeed this premise that computer vision 
cameras should suffice to render LiDAR effectively obsolete. So, so we talked quite a bit. We did quite a nice deep dive on LiDAR. Um, let's see, episode 78. This was earlier this year, January 29. If you haven't listened to it yet, I have to say this is one of my personal favorite episodes because we really did a fantastically deep dive into the science and technology of LiDAR. Um, if only because of my background in physics and engineering as an undergrad, frankly, I had a lot of fun doing this. Um, but suffice to say, it proved to be one of the more popular episodes. And the the thing that we dived into in, in great detail, really, was this, this fundamental difference as between the two different flavors of LiDAR, as it were, right? So there's 950 nanometers and there's 1550 nanometers. And without getting into it again now, again, just yeah, really, just go listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Um, the current state of the art today relies on the wavelength of light, which must be artificially reduced in power because it'll otherwise fry your retina. Uh, that's certainly not a very good solution. But again, the downside because of the reduced power is it doesn't have as much range. On the flip side, the more you know, the more uh, the more suitable one for extended range. Um, which will not, however, fry your retina because your retina is effectively transparent to the to that wavelength. Well, the problem there is it's, of course, much more expensive. Well, as an aside, Inovis have found a way to use the less costly solution and to boost its range. So that seems to be kind of the, you know, that's like a win on all fronts, obviously. But in any event, the, the, the big takeaway here is that, yeah, with the exception of rather more pricey solutions, LiDAR do tend to be a bit pricey, a bit bulky and ungainly, um, and frankly, just not quite good enough, right? So for Apple to be looking into suppliers and or for them to be, frankly, building and developing their own in-house hardware, which is also quite likely, and now that I say this out loud, perhaps when, when when these reports talk about Apple speaking with suppliers, they're probably just talking about components. I do think it's quite likely that Apple are probably building their own in-house LiDAR for sure. And this is the way in which they're able to build their own software in-house to work. Because again, they're, they're, they're trying to build the whole stack. They absolutely, and I agree with this, they absolutely want to control the entire perception stack, as it's called. Um, yeah, anyway, this is all kind of a roundabout way of getting to the point that nobody really knows what Apple is up to, but it is good to know that they are on their way to building something now, whether this is going to be simply licensed again to everyone else or whether they're going to use this towards their own vehicle remains to be seen. Um, I don't know. I think one of the things I suggested in the past was that the that, that Apple's uh, CarPlay platform was really just sort of a way to get folks, you know, to get Apple into cars generally. This then would eventually be the platform on which all of Apple's AV uh, stack would be built or at least based or at least used for interaction with occupants of the car. So anyway, net-net, I I think we're probably a minimum of one or two years out before we see anything really tangible from Apple and possibly as much as five years out. I mean, I realize it's a big, big delay to what we had heard a couple years back. But if there's one thing which hasn't changed in the AV space, it's recognition that this is a very, very difficult, very tricky thing to get right which is why folks focusing on level five are admitting as much. Ford's CEO famously saying recently, yeah, we kind of underestimated how difficult AVs are, which of course goes to my point, which is forget about level five, just focus on level four, keep it geofenced, call it a day.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, so this is pretty cool and not just cool because this is a good idea, interesting, etc., but rather it's cool because it's perfectly... Uh, slots in neatly with a lot of the discussion we've been having the last several episodes. Um, ADAS. So Europe, the EU Commission, uh, has recently announced that they are going to mandate certain ADAS functionality, that's automated driver assistance systems, on all new cars from 2021. So... Uh, I don't want to just, as usual, I don't want to just regurgitate the news, but I will enumerate the various, you know, each of the 11 particular safety features they're talking about, because obviously there's all sorts of different ADAS technologies, but here are the 11 that they're talking about, right? So this particular list that I'm pulling just seems to be in alphabetical order, so don't don't pay any attention to the order in which I read these off. Uh, All right, so advanced emergency braking. Alcohol interlock installation facilitation. That's an interesting one. I never heard of that. Uh, Drowsiness and attention detection. Hopefully something more than Mercedes-Benz coffee cup icon. Event, such as accident, data recorder. Uh, Emergency stop signal. Full width frontal occupant protection, crash test, and improved seatbelts. Head impact zone enlargement for pedestrians and cyclists, as well as safety glass. Intelligent speed assistance, lane keeping assistance, pull side impact occupant protection, and reversing camera or detection system. So, look, if a lot of these sound familiar, that's because, frankly, almost all of them are already widely available in pretty much all cars, or at least most cars anyway. Um, and that's good, and that's therefore, you know, I would say it's about time that this stuff gets mandated. This, to me, isn't really... Well, it is pretty big news that it is, in fact, being mandated. That's fine. But to me, the bigger story here, the bigger issue to discuss is... And again, this kind of goes to a lot of the discussions we've had with guests on the show lately. Um, most recently, you'll hear on Tuesday, as I mentioned earlier, with Adam from Imagery. We, we got into this quite a bit as well. The very essence of ADAS, the very fact that vehicles need ADAS in the first place, is precisely to, well, sort of help us from ourselves, to kind of protect us from, from our own sort of failings, right? Um, there's, the, there's this need to ensure that we, that, that, that we don't cause more accidents during this interim phase of semi-autonomous vehicle technology rollout, right? Um, and, and this then leads to a curious thing, which I think can best be summed up by the following, which is, if you're going to have ADAS systems in cars, then it must be the case that you have DMS systems as well. It's driver monitoring systems. And the example I gave was a personal anecdote from the other night. You've probably heard it a couple of times now. For those of you who haven't, you know, just driving home late at night, a one-hour drive, I was pretty sleepy, and I thought to myself, gosh, this could potentially be more dangerous ironically, in a Tesla, 
with autopilot simply because I know there is at least something there keeping me at least somewhat more safe with the footnoted caveat that that's only true if I actually manage to stay awake. Ironically, the very thing that makes the vehicle arguably safer is the thing which can make the vehicle more dangerous if I fall asleep. Yes, putting aside for a moment those, I guess, those outlier cases where autopilot actually saved people who fell asleep at the wheel, which is fantastic, and I've said as much, the fact remains, and I, I mentioned this before, the very... And that was my Apple Watch talking. Sorry for that. Um, if if you really wanted the safest car in the world, you'd simply remove ABS, you'd remove seat belts, you'd remove airbags, and you'd put a giant spike in the steering wheel. Right? I had a professor at UCLA who said as much. So so there's it, it just it's this weird sort of interim state which raises this it's almost kind of a paradox, right? So so by virtue of making cars safer there's this sort of uncanny valley. So for those of you who don't know the term in movie special effects, um, you know, we're okay with special effects insofar as cartoony type stuff, science fiction-y type stuff, you know, dinosaurs, creatures, robots. But as soon as we start to try to create computer-generated humans, well, our brain suddenly expects to see an actual human, not something which is sort of almost kind of a human, because then it just, you know, our, our ability to accept it as real just kind of drops off this precipitous cliff. And so the challenge then is getting across that chasm, as it were, up to the other side, meaning the computer-generated humans have to actually be completely 100% indistinguishable to a real human for us to accept it. Well, that's kind of what, that's kind of the state of semi-autonomous cars now, is that we've, we're kind of standing at the, at the edge, at the precipice of this uncanny valley where we've got all these new technologies like ADAS um, and indeed like Autopilot and Tesla, which on the whole indisputably indisputably make cars safer, but they have this really weird kind of almost paradoxical side effect where it opens the potential to be less safe because you kind of, one might allow oneself to be more careless, right? So... You know, it's more easy to pay less attention. This then is why I and others have said that really this this mandate of ADAS must also mandate driver monitoring systems. Otherwise, it just doesn't fly. So let me know your thoughts on this. And I think going forward, the big question is, if we're going to start hearing news about mandated ADAS systems in cars... Why isn't it yet the case that we've not been hearing news of mandating driver monitoring systems as well? That, to me, is a big, big thing that needs to be addressed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so to close out today, just a brief discussion about GM's cruise automation. So we've talked about them quite a bit in the past. Um, And now there's some concern that, you know, we're coming up on May pretty quick here. And they had, you know, Cruise had promised back in 
well, I guess it was 14 months ago, give or take, so right around the time I started this podcast, actually, um, you know, they had anticipated that they'd be able to release the first of their Level 5 robo-taxi fleet. So these are basically Chevy Bolts without any steering wheel or, I was going to say gas and brake pedal, we should just start saying go and stop pedals. Um, yeah, so truly driverless versions of their vehicles would be on the streets of San Francisco by the end of 2019. Well, there's a concern now that this just isn't going to happen. It's a really tricky thing to get right. And, you know, the, the point is, is that apparently, you know, most investors are saying, hey, this, this isn't a big problem. Um, you know, GM already spent $700 million last year. They're going to spend a billion dollars this year. And, you know, they're going to hire another thousand employees to join the team, something like that. Um, They've already raised something like $5 billion from the likes of Japan's SoftBank. Um, GM, of course, originally having put in $2 billion. Um, and so, you know, there's this general notion, which is, yeah, look, they might miss the 2019 deadline. So what? It's, it's okay. You know, whether this comes in 2020 or even a bit further down the road, nobody cares. It doesn't matter because we get it. This is a really tricky thing to get right. Here's the thing about Cruise that I find so incredible and what I really admire and why I'm such a big fan of them. I'd say, I've said for quite some time and I still maintain, I think, I think for me, I, I would really rank them at the number one spot. In some ways, I know I might get a lot of flack for saying this, but I feel like in some ways, I would rank them number one even above, above Waymo. I mean, look, don't get me wrong, Waymo is phenomenal. They've done a lot. They've got something like, what, 10 million? or more miles in simulator land, and they've been certainly testing in real streets down in what, Arizona, and I think they just started recently deploying elsewhere. I forget, obviously they've been testing in their, in their home neighborhood of Silicon Valley, sure. But what amazes me about Cruise is that they've been testing on the streets of San Francisco, which as a reminder, if you don't know these streets, I mean, they're, they're hard to negotiate as a human, let alone an autonomous vehicle. Um, I mean, the only other streets and the only other city in America I've been in, which has streets as complex to navigate, is say Boston. Uh, the point is, crews are really tackling this problem. You know, starting at the highest threshold of difficulty, and I, I think that's a really big deal. Um, and so, for that reason, I have got a lot of faith in their team and their execution, their deployment. Here's what I don't get, though, and if this sounds like a bit of what I've said in the past, that's because. Yeah, I really believe this, and I'm going to keep saying it, but in this case, I'm going to put a different spin on it, which is, I think by all means, crews, they need to keep pushing and, and testing and working towards their goal of deploying their autonomous robo-taxi fleet as soon as possible. But to, to, to reach that goal, stop trying to do this level five thing, this, this driverless thing with no steering wheel and go and stop pedals in the car. Stop trying to do this on all streets in San Francisco. That's just silly. Why? Just accept the fact that you can effectively have a level four car. Look, you can rip out the steering wheel if you want to, I suppose. But make it level four insofar as being just totally geofenced. Make these cruise vehicles work only on certain streets, boulevards in San Francisco. Maybe even maybe even the carpool lane on freeways. Actually, you want know to forget about that too. Just let them work well on the streets of San Francisco, certain streets of San Francisco, not all and call it a day. I am pretty convinced that if Cruz did that now, if they only focused, say, on just a handful of the main artery streets of San Francisco, 
I think they'd probably do a pretty fine job. So, so what's better, right? Delaying the deployment of true level five vehicles, which can work everywhere at all times and all conditions and don't need a steering wheel, or rolling out a car which is otherwise level five capable, but effectively reduced to level four because it's been geofenced. As I've said a zillion times lately, trains and, and buses with overhead electric wire, actually buses of all sorts, are effectively geofenced. Buses don't operate on all streets. They operate on certain streets. Do that with the cruise automation cars. Call it a day. That'll be a win. I think if they were be they would, they would consider this approach, they could probably deploy their robo-taxis by the end of 2019, no problem. So, I don't know. That's just my thoughts on this. Um... Curious to hear yours. As always, you can reach out to me on social media at Autonomous Hogue. Anyway, that said, really eager to see how Cruise progresses through 2019. Can't wait to learn more. All right, well, that's a wrap for today and indeed for this week. Uh, as a reminder, next Tuesday, the 23rd, will be the 100th episode of this show. Again, I have no idea yet whether I'm going to do a special episode or whether I'll simply air one of uh, several interviews I've got queued up. So uh, check back on Tuesday. Uh, I'll be just as curious to see what I'm airing as you are. Uh, Meanwhile, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend ahead. Until next time, bye-bye.